This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, let's get ready to get into the Word tonight. Now, uh, before we do, um, you have to bear with me. I'm going to have to tell on uh, Pastor Dave and I a little bit. He has no idea what's coming. (laughs) Sorry, just give me one second. Before we do that, uh, I would like to apologize on behalf of my uncultured brother, because this morning, during the service, behind the holy pulpit of God, he disrespected Elotes. Amen! Amen. And I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what his deal was, but I, in my book, if you have a picture of yourself in your t-shirt eating Elotes, you should get extra votes for the t-shirt contest. Amen. Yes. Amen. Amen. So that is not what I want to talk about, but I, I couldn't in good conscience get up here without apologizing for my brother. But, <laughs> yeah, I'm not even gonna, gonna honor that comment with a remark. Just kidding. Um, but, what, uh, back when Pastor Dave and I were a little bit younger, uh, believe it or not, him and I were hardcore, hardcore WWF, or now they call it WWE fans. They changed the name at some point. When we watched it, it was called the WWF. And we were like, we were hardcore. Like, we watched every single wrestling program that came on TV. And uh, one, one time they actually came to Indianapolis, the whole WWF. And so uh, we saved up all of our allowance money. And we couldn't drive because we were like, we were like little kids, like 12, 13 or whatever. Um, but we really wanted to go see the WWF. So we, uh, convinced my older brother Ben, who was here a couple weeks ago, uh, that if we bought his ticket, would he drive us up to see WWF in Indianapolis? So, uh, him and I got to see the WWF live, uh, and it was everything that, that you would expect it to be, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, that, I don't know, that's what we kind of grew up on. We love the WWF, and so um, I actually want to show you a clip from, our, from, our, from uh, one of the matches that we uh, watched in our childhood uh, real quick, uh, and then I'm going to try to make this spiritual, but bear with me, bear with me. If you guys could roll this clip real quick. Cut the music! Now he's stuttering. Cut the music. It's obvious that you two jabronis don't know about the three commandments. Number one, thou shall not steal. He said jabronis. That's a rock's word. Number two, thou shall not kill. Yeah. And number three, thou... The Rock says, Who are you two, Rudy Poos? <laughs> you don't even know the dummy boys? Oh, he knows them. Little head gang going on here. You should know by now that we are the
Yeah, that was good. I mean, when we saw that, we saw that amazing, amazing athletic performance live. But what I want to talk to us tonight is it doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you feel like. And uh, imagine that uh, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. So imagine that that's, uh, that's Jesus punching you in the face. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm stretching. Okay. So uh, let's, get, let's, let's focus on the word. Let's focus on the word. But what, uh, the reason I want to talk about it doesn't matter what you feel like is that a lot of times, even as Christians, we find ourselves falling for the same sins uh, and, and temptations over and over and over again. And I want to take a few minutes tonight and, and talk about uh, our feelings and our motivations. Let's real quick, if we can, flip over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And I think that uh, for people that really grasp this concept of how our, how our feelings and our motivations work, it can really help you uh, overcome lots of temptations and struggles in life. So let's uh, start here in verse uh, number 28. It says, But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, Son, go out and work in the vineyard today. The son answered, No, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind and went anyways. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. I'd love to go. But then he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed his father? They replied, the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. (laughs) And that was kind of hardcore because he was talking... uh, to the religious people of his day. And what they did was uh, they said all the right things, but they didn't actually do them. So uh, let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray, and then we'll get into this. Father God, in Jesus' name, I love you, Lord God. And, and we are having fun tonight, but we know that, that your word is truth, Lord God, and you wash us with your word of truth. Uh, and we know, Lord God, that when we're speaking your word, that it doesn't return void, Lord. It always accomplishes what it what it goes forth to do. So help me, Lord, tonight to speak your words and, and not my words. We can have fun, Lord, but help the truth of your word stand, Lord, and uh, help us to keep our hearts and our minds focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, looking at this scripture, uh, there's the one boy who, who he tells his dad he's not going to go help because he, he just doesn't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I'm not going to go help you in the field. Um, but then he eventually, even though he didn't feel like it, he goes out and helps anyways. And then the other brother says all the right things, but he doesn't go out and help. And what Jesus was showing us is that even if you don't feel like it, if you do the right thing, he's the one that really did the will of the Father. And that's what it was talking about here. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight is that our feelings do not have to motivate us. Your feelings don't have to motivate you. Your feelings are completely irrelevant. They don't matter in the slightest. And uh, that's something that's hard for us in our modern culture to understand because we're just always taught, you know, the most important thing we should do is 
is follow our heart, do what feels right. Um, and I, I think my wife's feeding our son, so I can uh, I can talk freely for a minute. And just don't tell her. Just kidding. Oh, oh, my sister-in-law's here, so we'll just uh, earmuffs for you. Just kidding. Um, but the the worst thing in our culture, I think, for this concept is uh, chick flicks. Amen. Because how many times, well, on top of chick flicks just being mind-numbingly boring, and they all have the exact same plot, and they're, they're just horribly written guard, piles of garbage. But, but other than that, how many times in these movies do you see, like, a happily, well, maybe not happily married, but a married woman uh, leave her husband for some good-looking guy at the, at the office or whatever, and they, we applaud her at the end of the movie because she followed her heart. Rather than doing the right thing, she leaves her husband and follows her heart. And, and we're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. You got to follow your heart because if you're, you know, if you're happy, if you follow your heart, that's what's truly right. And that's not what's truly right. That's not right at all. Um, in fact, most of us, if we followed our heart, we could get ourselves in big trouble. <laughs> um, because like Jesus was telling us earlier, your, your feelings don't matter. It's doing the right thing. Your feelings don't need to dictate what you do. Uh, I was thinking about it, and we've got, we've got a lot of people here at church tonight, but if, if we would all look over here, we've got an entire section that's completely empty. And they've even, they've even got ropes on it and stuff, you know. Because you know why? They, they put ropes up because... If they don't, there'll be like one person sit over there right in the middle. And so I'm over here trying to talk, and then that one person thinks I'm ignoring them. Plus, it's easier to preach when you're all kind of grouped together like this. That's what, but I don't know why I said that. But, uh, but if you think about it, why aren't there more people in church tonight? You what? They didn't feel like coming. They wanted to stay home and watch football uh, or whatever, you know, get some extra sleep. But they, whatever their excuse was, it all boiled down to they just didn't want to come. And the thing is, as true Christians, and at this point I'm preaching to the choir, we come to church whether we feel like it or not. I mean, I'm as big a football fan as anybody and I pride myself away at halftime to come over here tonight. Well, that, that and because I was preaching. But uh, I would have come, come anyways. I would have come anyways. <laughs> uh, in, in that story we were reading, though, uh, a lot of times I think in our modern culture, people, uh, they would have praised that first son because he had the good attitude. He had the good heart. He's like, oh, yeah, Dad, I'd love to go help you. Even though in the end, the one with the bad attitude was the one that went out and did what he was supposed to. Because uh, God doesn't judge us on our, our, our motives or, our, our, or whatever. He judges us on our actions, what we do. Um, intentions are not everything. What you intended to do and what you do, uh, sometimes I call it the doo-doo principle. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you intended to do. It, it matters what you do do. The doo principle. But, we, I mean, there's a, there's a saying that says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, and once again, I'm a, my wife, I think she's feeding the baby, and since she's not here, 
She's not here to stop me. I can say whatever I want. Oh, oh, oh. She's sitting in the coffee bar. She's sitting right there. So in that case, I need to get it out before she can get up here and stop me. <laughs> but a lot of times, wives, including my own, um, they'll ask their husband to do something, and maybe the husband will actually go out and do it, but they're, they get upset sometimes because their husband didn't want to. They get upset because their husband didn't want to. And let me tell you right now, no matter how many times my wife asks me to go out and do the dishes, I'm not going to ever want to go out and do the dishes. It just doesn't happen. It's not I don't wake up feeling like I need to go out and do the dishes. And if she's waiting for me to want to do the dishes, she's going to be waiting a very, very long time. They will be piled up. I mean, they'll, you probably have to throw them away and get new dishes because they'd be so crusted up and nasty at that point. Thank you. <laughs> and that's why my wife has learned that she'll ask me to do the dishes and I'll do them. And she doesn't care if I want to do them or not. I better get those dishes done. Because uh, all she cares about is getting the dishes done. She doesn't care whether I wanted to or not. And for all the ladies in here, I'm going to give you a tip on how to get your husband to do things for you. And it's a very simple tip, and for some reason, most wives don't get this simple tip. If you want your husband to do something for you, you have to ask him more than once. (laughs) And the, the women in here that get that have husbands that help them and do things for them. But if my wife would have come up to me today and asked me one time while I was watching football to do the dishes, those dishes would not have got done because I was not paying a lick of attention to anything she said. Well, I love you, baby. Love you, baby. But I was deeply engrossed in football. And she, I, I, she, I, she probably did ask me to do something, but I didn't hear a word she said. You have to ask your husband more than once. And I don't, like, uh, wives have no problem asking their children to do something more than once. If you ask your kid to clean his room, you'll keep asking him until he gets his room cleaned. And, you know, I, I don't know why God made us this way, but for some reason that's the way a lot of men are. You have to ask us more than once. But the wives like Susan up here I saw jumped up. And even my wife, once you learn that concept, you will get things done. You'll get things done around the house. And a lot of women say, you know, well, I shouldn't have to ask him more than once. And those are the women who complain that their husband never does anything for him. Take that for what it's worth. <laughs> anyways, anyways. <laughs> back, to, back to those sons, you know. Like we're seeing, Jesus said that the one who, even though he didn't necessarily have the right attitude, but he did what he was supposed to, he was the one that was doing the right thing. Uh, You know, many people don't volunteer at church because they can't find a position, you know, that, that sticks out to them, the position that they want to help in. And let me tell you, you know, 
rather than always waiting for the position that we need help in, or that you uh, you know that sticks out to you, maybe just try helping in a position that actually needs the help in. I know. I mean, we're always putting on the on the screen, you know, that we need help uh, in the nursery, and 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 you know, a lot of people, you know, I I personally don't get a thrill out of changing dirty diapers, but sometimes it's not about you. Like we're just reading, uh, it's not always about you. You need to do what needs done, even if you don't want to do it. You know, <laughs> if we're if we're always going to be waiting for that perfect position to come around, it's never going to come. Because I was thinking about what would my ideal position at church be, and uh, I realized that it would probably be the uh, taste tester for all the pitchins. And... Uh, so far, even though I, I am a reverend and I am on staff here at church, nobody has offered me that position. And so uh, instead, I try to jump in and, and do what's needed. And, you know, as you, as you do what's needed, the Lord does give you the desires of your heart. You'll be able to move into areas of ministry that, that do stick out to you, but you need to do what needs done for a while. Do what needs done, you know. We're been needing help in the media and the nursery. We need to have all these areas that need help. And they're not hard. All it takes is you just doing the right thing. Amen. <laughs> Another thing uh, that we uh, sometimes get confused on is, is giving. Giving is not something that should be motivated by our feelings. It doesn't matter what we feel like. Second um, Corinthians 9-7 tells us that we're not supposed to give out of compulsion. You know, we're not supposed to give because we feel, uh, you know, uh, it says uh, that we're supposed to give what we have decided in our hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think a lot of people in that scripture, they get confused. They think that uh, that the key word is heart because we're so all about following our hearts um, in this culture. But I think that the key word in that scripture is that we're, is, de, is determined. Each of us should give what we've determined to give, because we're determined to give. And in fact, uh, the Bible made it easy for us to not rely on our feelings. Uh, it actually, every single Christian, every single follower of Jesus has the exact same base amount that we're supposed to give, whether you feel like it or not. Does anybody know what the base amount that we're supposed to give is? Ten percent. And that's whether you feel like it or not. The Bible doesn't ask you if you feel like it. It says you need to determine in your heart and give. Now, maybe there's sometimes you give above your ten percent, but you're never, ever, ever supposed to go ten percent of your income in giving. That's just the same standard for every single Christian. Every single Christian. There's no excuse not to do it. Maybe you think that it says to bring it to the to the storehouse, to your local church. You bring it to church, you don't send it off to the TV preacher, you don't uh, keep it, you know, maybe you send it to your grandma because you feel like she needs help. No, that's not, you can give to your grandma, you know, above your 10%, but every single Christian has that obligation to bring 10% to the local church because that's where we get fed. That's where we get our spiritual, our spiritual nutrition, our strength and nutrients. One definition, like we we're talking about, of, of determined is deciding to do something that you absolutely don't want to do. 
You have to determine in your heart to give, even if you absolutely don't want to. I was, uh, I was talking on Wednesday. The scripture does say that God loves a cheerful giver, but he will, he has no problem taking money off of a grump. He'd prefer that we be cheerful and have the right attitude, but he'll still take money off of a grump. We all have to give that 10%. There's no getting out of it. Your feelings do not matter one bit in this. You are called to give. Tonight, uh, we had that amazing time of worship. Uh, we had, uh, you know, Graceland playing the guitar and, and Katie and Ilea, and they sounded so amazing and so so beautiful up there. Uh, has anybody else ever thought maybe it might be kind of cool to, to play the guitar or, or sing or, or uh, play the piano or something? Yeah. You know, I'm going to be, I'm going to shoot straight here. I'm going to shoot straight. You know what the difference between them up there and you that are not playing the guitar tonight? It's that they practiced even when they didn't feel like it, even if it was hurting their fingers. You have to push through it so that you can learn, so that you can get better. Because most people, when you're a kid, you take two or three weeks worth of piano lessons and then you give up because you don't feel like it. Uh, I remember when I was first learning to play guitar at the church that I played at in Indiana, uh, they were weird. They used to always play all their songs in the key of E flat. Uh, and And... Not everybody's a musician, but I, I was like super lazy. I always wanted to play like in the easy keys. I didn't want to play E flat. And so I would always complain to the piano player. And, and one day uh, she told me that I needed to just suck it up and learn how to play in E flat instead of complaining and telling her to put everything in C or whatever, something easy. She's like, just suck it up and play. And it used to make me so mad. But I can see all these years later that she was right. If I had given up because I didn't feel like playing in the key of E flat, I would not be up here be able to lead worship, you know, able to direct this team. Even though it maybe hurt my feelings, I had to push my feelings aside and learn how to do it. Because ultimately, our feelings need to have no part in what we do. Our emotions and our feelings do not matter. The second thing I want to talk about tonight is that our feelings do not define us. What we feel does not define who we are. Let's look uh, over real quick at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Once you get there, say amen. And then I see like, here like two amens. So we'll, uh, I'll just, uh, I'll walk awkwardly over here for a minute. Robert has it. I'm hearing more amens. I hear more amens. So uh, let's flip down to verse 15. It says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do. Yet he did not sin. All of the same things, feelings that we feel, Jesus felt them. He faced all of the same temptations. Yet he didn't sin. 
And like we've been talking, our modern culture has taught us that our feelings are the most important things in our life. If we feel something, that's who we are. And if that's the case, Jesus would have been a great big sinner because it says he faced all of the same temptations and feelings. But Jesus was not a sinner. Just because he felt like sinning does not mean that he was a sinner. You know, people think that as long as we feel like doing something, we should do it. But there are tons of evil and wicked things that years ago people would not have thought twice about doing. But today we've, been, we've spent so much time telling them that they need to follow their hearts and do whatever they, makes them feel happy. You know, because if you feel like some, doing something, it couldn't possibly be wrong. You know, because one of our feelings ever led us astray. <laughs> and then us as a church, you know, instead of pointing out right and the wrong, which is, by the way, you'll hear me say this a lot of times when I preach, pointing out right and wrong is the correct type of judging. And as Christians, we are called to point out right and wrong. When it comes to that, we are definitely called to judge. We shouldn't be looking at people's motivations. We can't guess at what they are. But if you see someone that's plainly doing something wrong, we're supposed to call out right and wrong. That's something we were called to do. But instead of doing that, we've just a lot of times, we've, uh, we just relabel things so they don't sound as bad. You call it something else so it doesn't sound as bad. Uh, you know, maybe we'll say, you know, it's not abortion, it's a choice. It's just someone making a choice. It's not an affair. It's, it's I'm following my heart. It's not fornication and, and sexual immorality. We're, we're making love. It's not whatever sin you can possibly think of. It's just, you know, that's just who I am. That's, you know, I, I'm a thief. I like to steal things. That's who I am because I feel like stealing. You know, fortunately... Our feelings do not define who we are. Our feelings don't define us. Just because we feel something does not mean that we have to do it, that we have to act on it. We saw that with that verse, that, that same thing uh, that Jesus was talking about. Looks like they got point three up there. Getting a little, a little ahead of ourselves. Um, but many modern psychologists have even convinced us that if we don't do what we're feeling, that it's a bad thing. And that, that it's a horrible thing for us to suppress our feelings. But there have actually been studies that have shown just the opposite. Uh, there was a real cute little study they did back in the 70s. Uh, they took a bunch of, like, uh, of kids and they would stick them in a room with a marshmallow. And they would tell these kids, if you wait with this marshmallow and don't eat it for five minutes, I'll bring you a second marshmallow and then you can have two marshmallows. And, of course, about half of the kids couldn't wait. They just instantly ate that marshmallow. And about half of them were able to wait the five minutes, and they got two marshmallows. And that's a cute little study. But they actually have followed up with these kids all throughout the years, and they found out that the kids, even at that young age, that were able to suppress their feelings and just wait for a few minutes so that they could have a, a bigger reward, now that here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later, those kids tend to be more successful in life. Whereas the kids who just couldn't, you know, I can't wait, I can't wait, i got to have what I want, and ate it right now, they're the ones that are not doing as well. Which is a really weird thing, but it's because you have to learn how to, to control your feelings and not let them control you. You know, 
the real horrible people in life are the ones who are completely unable to suppress their feelings. Can you imagine how awful it would be if everyone always did exactly what they were feeling all the time? (laughs) Why do people steal or or commit adultery? Because they felt like it. They'd never learned how to suppress their feelings. They never learned that their feelings don't define who they are. It's absolute insanity for us to think that it's bad to suppress our feelings. You know? We shouldn't always do what we feel. Uh, now, I will throw in one, one, side, one side note here. We are, are, are all of us in here Christians? We all have accepted Jesus. We all, in which case, good news and bad news. The good news, uh, the bad news is that you no longer have an excuse. Uh, but um, for those that have not accepted Jesus, maybe they literally can't control their feelings. I'll give them, people that have not accepted Jesus, I'll give them that possibility. Because the Bible does tell us in Romans chapter 6, that before we accepted Jesus, we were slaves to sin. So maybe, and I don't know if I find necessarily think people can't control themselves, but at least they have that excuse that they're slaves to sin. Um, well, that same uh, chapter tells us that we're, but when we accept Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. So we don't have that excuse anymore. We're not bound by our feelings. We're not bound by that sin. We don't have to live the same way we did before we were Christians. Your feelings do not define who you are. Maybe you feel like a a failure or a loser. But Romans 8.37 tells us that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Through Jesus, we are more than conquerors. Some people think that maybe you had a really, really rotten past and and because of that, there's no hope for you. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when we're in Christ, we're a new creation. A new creation. Old things are gone. Everything is new. In Christ, all of that stuff in the, in the past doesn't matter because we're not going off of our feelings or who we are. We're going off of Jesus and who He says that we are. That's why we have forgiveness and redemption. And that's why we're not slaves to our feelings. We're not slaves to sin anymore. It doesn't matter what we feel because our feelings do not define who we are. And the third thing, which we will catch up to the slides now, is that our feelings do not control us. Our feelings don't control us. A lot of times people, even Christians, that struggle with the, the same sins and temptations over and over and over again, They'll pray that God will take away those temptations, that God will take those away. And uh, once again, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God is never going to answer that prayer. God will never take away those feelings. Because, to be quite honest, God is not in the feeling business. God is not in the feeling business. Second Corinthians 5.7 says that we walk by faith not by sight. Another way of saying that, uh, a pastor says it all the time, is that we live by the word, 
not by how we feel. If we're focusing on the feelings, then we're focusing on the wrong thing, and then you can never truly be set free. Because if you're praying that God's going to take away those feelings, that's just not a prayer that can be answered. You know, uh, I preached a message one time uh, on the only 100% guaranteed foolproof, foolproof way to uh, get rid of temptation. Does anybody know what the only way to get rid of temptation is? Completely and forever? Pastor Dave? Die. That's correct. <laughs> the only way you will ever get rid of feelings of temptation and feelings of wanting to do wrong completely is to die. As long as we're still alive and breathing, we're still going to be facing temptation. Let's flip over to James chapter 1. And uh, this actually tells us where temptation comes from. And uh, it might surprise some of you where temptation actually comes from. James chapter 1. My wife's still back there in the coffee bar. How you doing, baby? James chapter 1. And let's look down at verse 13. It says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Temptation comes from our own desires. Verse 15 says, These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow... It gives birth to death. So these feelings come from our sinful flesh. And like we were just talking, the only way you're going to get rid of that is for your flesh to die. It's for, you know, once we die, dead people don't struggle with sin anymore. Dead people don't have struggle. Um, but I will admit that for most of us, hopefully all of us, death is not a viable option at the moment. So what is a more practical solution? Let's look over at Titus chapter 2. And this is a little bit more practical solution um, to help us deal with some of these feelings. Still hear some pages flipping. so I will once again walk awkwardly over here, look at my beautiful wife, and then walk back over here. All super awkward. I'm, I'm well. <laughs> All right. Titus chapter 2. This is going to tell us the solution. The solution. Verse 11. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So what is the solution? The solution is the grace. The grace of God. Now, people get confused a lot of times nowadays, and grace doesn't mean that it doesn't matter 
what we do. Now, grace means a lot of things. Grace is very multifaceted, you know, uh, and we won't talk all about grace tonight. But according to Titus here, uh, one of the one of the facets, one of the uh, the uh, qualities of grace is that it gives us the divine ability to say no. Like we were talking earlier, maybe people that uh, that aren't born again, they don't have this they don't have this secret weapon that we do. But it says the same grace that gives us salvation that very same grace gives us the ability to say no. <laughs> I wrote down, you know, this is especially from, true for my wife, maybe, maybe you feel like strangling your husband half the time. <laughs> and, you know, I do my best, baby, I try. Just kidding. But just because you feel like strangling your husband does not mean that you have to strangle your husband. <laughs> Amen. I I should hear more amen from men out of there, out of that one. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Well, we do stupid stuff, but uh, you know, maybe you feel like cursing uncontrollably, but that doesn't mean that you can't help but curse uncontrollably, because we have the grace of God. It teaches us to say no, to control ourselves. It says it teaches us to live self-controlled lives. You know, maybe you feel need to to cheat on your wife, but that doesn't mean that you can't help but cheat on your wife. You have the divine ability to say no. <laughs> Maybe you, you know you feel like you're really in love with your boyfriend and, that, and the way that you should love him is just to sleep with him, but that doesn't mean that you can't help yourself and you have no choice. You have the choice. You have that self-control. And... Uh, <laughs> I say this a lot of times when I preach, but and I'm up here talking, so you just have to listen. <laughs> but one of the sins that I have the most trouble with uh, with uh, with understanding is is that sexual sin, sex outside of, outside of marriage. Because of every other sin in the Bible, you have to stop doing it. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that let him that stole steal no more. You know, if you're, you know, thou shalt not murder, all of these things you shouldn't do. You have to, you can't do them anymore if you want to live a righteous and holy life. But when it comes to, to sexual immorality, you don't even have to stop. All you have to do is get married. You know, you can be, you know, sexual immorality, you know, outside of marriage tonight. And it's a huge sin. It's, a, it's blasphemous before the Lord tonight. But go to the courthouse tomorrow. Get married and that very, and then tomorrow night, it's no longer a sin. It's the one sin where you don't even have to stop it. You just have to get married. That's the only qualification. That's why I have trouble. You know, maybe if you're a, a, a kleptomaniac and you just feel the the constant compulsion to steal, um, you're going to have to stop stealing. I, you know, the Bible says you can't steal. But maybe you know you have really trouble. Controlling yourself with lust. Well, the Bible says in Second Corinthians, to be honest, that you have trouble controlling yourself. You should go out and get married. Because then you don't have to stop. You don't have to try to, to suppress those anymore. This is like the one thing where you don't even have to suppress yourself. You just get married, and then it's all right. And so, you know, anybody that's not married and is out here sleeping around, 
Um, Pastor Dave has offered to give a discount on his marriage fee. And he'll get you all married up. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yes. In fact, you know, I'll do it myself. I'll, go, I'll give you 25%. Just kidding. Uh, seriously, though, there's no excuse for sleeping around in fornication. Get married. And then you're right in God's eyes. And you don't even have to stop doing it. Anyways, you know, we don't have to do what we feel. And I think a lot of people also get confused that they, they literally think the devil is the one making them do these terrible things. And we were just seeing that, you know, it's actually our own desires that, that tempt us. But, you know, the devil's not the one forcing you to sneak off at night on your computer and look at that nonsense you shouldn't be looking at. The devil doesn't do that. <laughs> the devil's not forcing you to say mean things to your wife. Although I would never see anything this morning. Um, you know, the devil's not forcing you to curse. The devil's not forcing you over the holidays to fly off the handle at your in-laws. The devil cannot force you to do anything. The Bible tells us that if we submit to God, all we have to do is resist the devil and he'll flee from us. The Bible says that we've been given the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc., etc. We don't have to do what we feel. You know? And getting back to uh, what, we're, what we started off with tonight, you know? The next time you feel like, feel like doing something stupid, doing something wrong, you just got to slap yourself right in the face and tell yourself, it doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you feel like. If you need to imagine... Jesus punching you right in the face because he's the rock of our salvation. I may be taking a liberty here. I may be taking a liberty here. But you don't have to do what we feel because, number one, our feelings do not have to motivate us. We do what's right whether we feel like it or not. Our feelings do not define who we are. Just because you feel something doesn't mean that's who you are. And number three, our feelings do not control us. We're not controlled by what we feel. So uh, I think that's probably all I got. If I can get the worship team to get ready to come back up here tonight, um, we're going to get ready to close out. Um, man, just keep that in mind. It doesn't matter what you feel like. You need to do the right thing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.